Last week, Janet and I had the opportunity to visit the new Scottish Hydro Visitors Centre at Pitlochry. It was only officially opened on Monday, and so there we were on Tuesday, feeling very important as some of the first guests to go. And it is very cleverly built. <clears throat> I recommend you go and visit it. It juts out from the side of the valley, facing the power station and the dam and the salmon leap. And for us, and I guess for many of you, Loch Fascali and uh, the Valley of the Tummel are a very familiar and much-loved sites in central Scotland. But this new centre, with its uh, rather clever viewing platform leading right out into the valley, gives a fresh and a somewhat dramatic perspective to what we are familiar with. And today's story that we're going to focus on, the feeding of the 5,000, is for many of us here a very familiar and much-loved story. It would make preparing for a church lunch a lot easier and make a story week a lot easier for Ewan and his friends. <laughs> so be it. But what I want to try and do for the minutes we have before lunch is to look at this familiar story from a slightly different viewing platform. And to do that by focusing on our theme that we've been developing over these last weeks on God as our shepherd God. And with this in mind, the key verse of this passage is verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And although the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is found in all four Gospels, it is interesting that it is only Mark who makes this particular comment. The context is that the disciples had just returned from an exhausting mission trip, and they were now looking forward to some uninterrupted time reporting back to Jesus. What's more, as we read with Sam and Cater, Mark has just told us that King Herod, King Herod Antipas, uh, not a guy to mess with, was suddenly and fairly ominously showing particular interest in Jesus' popularity. He had recently murdered Jesus' cousin John the Baptist, and perhaps it was time to go undercover for a short time. So, Jesus and his disciples, as we read, get into a boat and they cross Lake Galilee to a suitable remote place. But they had hardly landed when they encounter a huge reception party. Ordinary working folk from around Galilee who had been fascinated by the twelve had they gone out and from the teaching ministry of Jesus himself, 
poor people and ill people, disturbed people, people abused and intimidated by King Herod and his cronies, people absolutely fed up with the scribes and Pharisees who seem not to be teaching a word of life, but a word that brought burden to their lives. Old people who were just weary of the Roman occupation and young people who seemed to be growing up without any hope. And Jesus sees this vast, motley crowd of 5,000 heads of household as they would be counted in those days and so many more in the families. And Jesus reaches out with a word that speaks of enormous, aching, gut-wrenching compassion. Who is leading these people? Who really cares for these people? Who are their shepherds? Certainly not Herod. Certainly not the religious elite. Certainly not the Romans. And Jesus had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. And so Jesus does not send them away, as the disciples recommend. Like a shepherd, he gathers them together as a flock, the lost sheep of Israel. Like a shepherd, he spends unhurried time with them, totally unaware that the sunset is soon coming. Like a shepherd, verse 34, he guides them. So he began teaching them many things. And most memorably, like a shepherd, he leads them to green pastures. Literally, verse 39, he makes them sit down on green grass and he miraculously feeds these 5,000 and many more. This is the most public of any of the miracles of Jesus. So who is this among us? Who is this whom Herod is so agitated about? Is he a new Elijah? Is he a prophet like Elisha? Is he John the Baptist come back to life again as Herod feared? And for Mark, this is the key issue and this is the key purpose of the whole gospel. And the answer is, he is the one who Ezekiel was prophesying about, as we thought with clay last Sunday. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and he will be their shepherd I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be the prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. And in a nation of so many bad shepherds, here is the good shepherd of the line of David. Kenneth Bailey, in the book that we are using as a bit of a basis for this series, entitled The Good Shepherd, makes a fascinating observation, and I don't quite know what you'll make of this, but he draws out interesting parallels between the famous Psalm 23 and this story. So just look at them. The Lord is my shepherd, 
I shall not want. He feeds 5,000 people. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's exactly what he asks the crowd to do. He leads me beside still waters. If you look on, the very next miracle is the stilling of the storm. He guides in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Jesus teaches the crowd about the kingdom of God. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, there's just been a reference to the appalling assassination of John the Baptist. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. Herod's spies may well have been part of that 5,000. And my cup overflows. Twelve baskets of food left over. Well, I don't know what you make of that and what it means, but it's interesting, isn't it? The title of today's sermon is The Shepherd God is Among Us. And Mark really wants us to grasp and appreciate this simple but absolutely central point. And to underline it, Mark comes back to this story on at least two occasions. And if you have your Bible open, you may care just to flick over with me. Look on to the miracle that follows as Jesus walks on the water and stills the storm. And then Jesus, verse 51, climbed into the boat with his disciples and the wind died down. And then as the words are on the screen behind me, they were completely amazed. Why? And then look at Mark's comment because they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. What is it that they hadn't understood? And then if you turn on to Mark chapter 8, we have a parallel miracle, the feeding of the 4,000, and then look at the conversation that follows. Verse 17 of Mark chapter 8. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? They'd forgotten their sandwiches on the boat. Do you still not understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? They were just not getting it. And what was it that they were just not getting? Well, it wasn't just that Jesus is a miracle worker. They were pretty clear about that. These were stunning miracles. It wasn't just that they had, Jesus had incredible compassion, though that was very clear. It was that Jesus is the promised divine shepherd. And John's gospel comes at this as a slightly different angle. For as he tells the story of the feeding of the 5,000, he links it quite clearly to the famous story in Exodus 
where they wandered for 40 years and God provided manna from heaven through Moses. And here in this remote place, this wilderness as it were, Jesus is not just a remarkable man doing remarkably kind things. After all, Moses had prayed this prayer, Numbers 27, 17. May the Lord, praise Moses, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in so that the Lord's people will not be like a sheep without a shepherd. Here is the fulfillment of that. Here is the true and the good shepherd who not only feeds and leads and protects, but saves his people. Here is the rightful king of Israel, not Herod. Here is the Messiah. Here is the Son of God. As one scholar puts it very simply as he writes, this feeding miracle is far more about Jesus than it is ever about bread. Every, like everything else in Mark, he writes, it presses the reader to consider who Jesus, the Son of Man, really is. Jesus is the compassionate shepherd God come among us in human flesh and he calls us to trust him. And that leads more briefly to a second fresh angle that Mark uniquely brings to viewing this familiar story. After Mark had told us earlier in chapter 6, verses 14 to 16, about Herod getting very jittery, Mark, as it were, then gives us a flashback. And the flashback is this horrific story about the brutal murder of John the Baptist. One day, indeed, it was his birthday, King Herod threw a lavish party, a state banquet. And all the powerful and the noble of the land were invited to Herod's palace. It was noble except that it really was anything but noble. For the wine flowed freely, and the dancing of Herodias' daughter was clearly provocative. And Herod carelessly offers her anything of her, his, her choosing because he probably was stone drunk. And the moment comes when Herodias gets her way. She convinces her daughter to ask for the head of John the Baptist, who she loathes because of what he said about the marriage. And this birthday bash turns out to be one sordid, horrible, toxic banquet of death. So why does Mark put in this flashback? Well, we can't be sure. But it seems more than just a backstory about Herod. Could it be that Mark is wanting to point out a remarkable contrast? For as Jesus feeds the 5,000, here is another banquet. This banquet is not in Herod's opulent palace, 
But this banquet is on a bleak, desert place. This is not a banquet for the high officials and the military commanders and the leading men of Galilee, as it says in verse 21. This is a banquet for the poor and the vulnerable and the oppressed and all those who know that they are sheep without a shepherd. The atmosphere of this party is not toxic, but it is bathed in the compassion of Jesus. The high officials no doubt left Herod's party sick to the stomach for what they had seen. These poor people of Israel left that hillside satisfied as never before. In fact, it says, doesn't it, there were 12 basketfuls of food left over. Here on this remote hillside, in contrast to that horrific banquet, is a foretaste of the messianic banquet, which is promised for the people of God on the last day. This is not a banquet of death. This is a banquet of life. And I wonder this morning if any of us here would consider ourselves metaphorically in a desert place. Spiritually, emotionally, maybe socially. And as we know all too well, the world around claims so much. Let's escape and have a great holiday. Let's drown our aching with yet more workaholism. Let's try a new therapy. Let's throw ourselves into politics. As one contemporary writer says, for all the claims of our secular society, the central shrine is empty. But precisely in this desert, in a nation of bad shepherds, the good shepherd spreads out a picnic, a banquet of life like none other. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We read the remarkable story in two kings of Elisha feeding a hundred people with 20 loaves. That's one loaf for every five people far greater one who feeds 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. That's one loaf for 1,000 people. This is the one who is with us this morning. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and you may have it to the full. And this morning... The gracious shepherd, risen and present by his spirit here, calls us to trust him. My God will meet all your needs, writes Paul, according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And so to a final brief take by Mark on this familiar story. As we've noted, the even wider context is that the 12 disciples had been sent out two by two on mission, the first part of the story that Sam read 
They were called to preach. They were called to heal. They were called to cast out demons, all in the name and by the authority of Jesus. And so, to encourage a dependence on God and neighbor, they are to take nothing for the journey except a staff. Interesting. Was that a sort of under shepherd staff or was it just a stick? They are to take no money, they are to take no bag, they are to take no extra clothes, and interestingly, they are to take no bread. And now here we are, weeks later, days later, gathering around Jesus, full of good stories to tell, as I hope we can hear at the end of this story week. And Jesus doesn't do what the disciples want, send them away. He pulls them together. And then verse 37, back to Mark 6, he says to the disciples, and you give them something to eat. As Eugene Peterson puts it in his paraphrase, you fix for supper for them. And the disciples react, Eugene Peterson again, are you serious? Do you want us to spend a fortune on, supper for, on food for their supper? How much the disciples still had to learn. No wonder Jesus says two times later, you just did not understand, did you? They have seen some remarkable things on mission. Healings, freedom from demonic powers, conversions, if you like. And not least, they set off without bread. And God provided for the journey through generosity and neighborhoodliness. And yet here they are. You give them something to eat and they are so unbelieving. They still do not get it. If I am really the divine good shepherd, then are you not going to trust me when I ask you that? And is not this just like some of us? Some of us, too, have been following Jesus for a long time. We, too, many of us, have seen God do some good things, some great things in our lives, sometimes in quite extraordinary ways as we look back. And yet here is God through the Lord Jesus, calling us, all of us, this morning, you give them something to eat. And like the disciples, we panic. He's calling me to serve, and I feel so inadequate. He's nudging me to invite that friend to Story Week, and I, I really find it difficult to ask that person. He's leading me to step out in faith and some of you gathered with Al and Angus this week to think about new ways of reaching out to this community and we feel that our resources are so limited and yet Jesus says to us, you give them something to eat. Like me, I'm sure, I often wonder exactly how this miracle happened. Did Jesus look up to heaven offer a prayer of thanks, break bread, and then suddenly a huge baker's shop full of bread just arrived there, all in baker's trays, and they just gave it out? I don't think so, did he? I think probably much more likely what happened is that Jesus took the bread and he looked up to heaven 
and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and then I can almost hear him say again, now you give them something to eat. And in an act of faith and an act of obedience, as the bread and the fish were shared, the bread and the fish miraculously multiplied. God chooses his under-shepherds, that's you and me, to be his instruments of blessing. So here we have it. Mark telling of the feeding of the 5,000 with its primary focus on the issue of who is Jesus. He is the good shepherd with compassion for sheep without a shepherd. And this morning, if you are, as it were, a sheep without a shepherd, come to Jesus this morning. Put your faith in Christ, in the forgiveness that only he can offer. The one who can reconcile us to God, the one who can promise, promises us to provide all our need. And Mark is telling us of a banquet of life. Mark is reminding us through the ministry of Jesus that there is a fullness of life that we are called to enjoy. And out of that fullness in Christ, he calls us this morning to go into a world of so much need. A world where people are indeed, as Hannah prayed, exploited and deceived and oppressed. A world indeed of bad shepherds. And Jesus says, in my name, do works of compassion. In my name, feed the hungry. In my name, care for the sick. In my name, welcome the stranger. In my name, proclaim the good news. You give them something to eat. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd.